Next Chapter Podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The 500 The 500 J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition So it ain't nothing to new Hundreds more to go And in need of a friend The king of peace for Angelo Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end with my man J.M. On the 500, talking the 500 until the end. Got my mojo working. Got my mojo working. Got my mojo Ah, oh, man. How's your mojo? I think mine's working. Uh, what is mojo? And what is working? I've got my mojo working. It's by Muddy Waters from his 1960 record, Muddy Waters at Newport. It's number 348 out of 500 on the 500 with me. What's up, everybody? I'm Josh Adam Myers. Thank you for tuning in. The pod. The squad. My fleece army. Uh, what is going on? I'm in New York. I uh, am doing the comedy cellar most nights. I was doing the stand and then they got mad at me. Oh, October 18th. I am doing the goddamn comedy jam at the Village Underground at the Comedy Cellar. It is a live show, but we're also streaming it on all the internet on mintcomedy.com. So you can watch it live with Big J Ogerson, Mateo Lane, Yamanika Saunders, Jessica Curson, special guest Andrew Schultz. I'm not supposed to announce it, but who cares? Uh, and we are streaming it, mintcomedy.com, October 18th at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Watch it wherever you are in the world. It's gonna be shot in like 8K, it's gonna look bomb. I want to see every single one of you guys there. It's a live audience. We're doing it live. October 18th, the goddamn Comedy Jam at the Village Underground at the Comedy Cellar. 11 p.m. Mintcomedy.com, motherfuckers. Pay for it. Come. Help support me. Spent a lot of money on a winter coat and two flannels this week. And some art from Young and Sick. Also, follow at Young and Sick, guys. At Young and Sick. 
That's the guy that does all the artwork for the show. I love him. He gave me some artwork. I haven't been framed. Uh, join the Patreon. Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Uh, we need your help, guys, because I'm not <laughs> I'm not making enough money from this. Dark Lord Spotify dropped us, and uh, I'm just barely hanging on, guys. Do you want me to continue doing this? Pay for it, please. $5 or more a month, and it gets you a bunch of stuff. All right, let's talk about Muddy Waters. He's a legend. You know, this is, this is probably the first... Muddy Waters record I've ever listened to ever in my whole life and ooh, I enjoyed it and today my guest is a legend in his own right the one and only prodigy of the blues guitar Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Uh, this dude is uh, I mean he has played with the Rolling Stones he's played with Bob Dylan the Eagles Buddy Guy, Johnny Lang, Skinner, I mean, I keep going on and on. B.B. King, he's over for Van Halen. This dude is a legend. And we sat down and had a great conversation. Super excited for you guys to hear this because he is a fan. He knows the dude's music. He lives blues. And I really had a good time. Rate, review, and subscribe to the 500. If you're listening on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a review. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and go to joshadammyers.com for all my shows, which I am going to be at Fairfield uh, this Saturday in Connecticut. I'm doing two shows at the Fairfield Comedy Club. I will be at Slipknot October 10th. I will be at, fuck, I think it's like Rolling Rock in Texas October 14th. I'll be at Gotham in New York City, October 17th. I will be in New Jersey, October 24th. I will be at Skankfest South, Sunday, November 7th. I will, that's in Houston. I will be in Cancun, November 3rd through the 6th. It's going to be the shit, dude. I will be in Edmonton, December 9th through the 12th. I will be in St. Louis, December 16th through the fucking 19th and I will be in Vancouver New Year's Eve and then I'm getting all my dates for 2022 coming in. I need more, man. Tell your comedy club to book me. JoshAdamMyers.com, y'all. Uh, email the podcast, 500podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook group, sign up for it. Go to our website, the500podcast.com. All right. Here we go. Number 348 out of 500. Muddy Waters at Newport, 1960. By the one and only Muddy Waters. All right, so me and Adam are here. And uh, it's, dude, we've had some fucking, Adam, we've had some legends on this podcast, dude. Mm-hmm. Legends. Legends. We've got one today. Uh, couldn't be more excited to sit down and talk to the one and only Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Uh, thank you for coming on and uh, and talking about somebody that right off the air you just mentioned was an idol to you. But before we get started, promote away anything you want to promote. This is your time. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, I mean, you know, man, look, we've, uh, I guess, as far as music goes, the most recent thing that we put out was uh, a live DVD. We put it out not long after uh, COVID happened and we were no longer allowed to go play concerts for people. So we decided let's give them a live DVD so they can watch us in the comfort of their own home. That's called Straight to You Live. And uh, prior to that, we put out a studio record called The Traveler. That was the one we were touring on when everything got shut down. We got two new studio records in the can just waiting to be released. We're just kind of waiting to see how this all pans out. But if you want to stay updated on the latest, you know, with us, you know, we're we're active on Instagram. We're active on Facebook. We have a website, KennyWayneShepherd.com or KennyWayneShepherd.net. And 
you know, we do our best to keep everybody dialed in to what's going on. Fuck yeah, dude. Did you do any like Zoom shows while, uh, cause I mean, there, I was, there were so many artists that it's just like, and this is honestly what I thought about the pandemic. I thought there was gonna be more albums released post pandemic that are all kind of like in the, they're all about isolation and like, yeah. you know what yeah, I mean? I was, I was, yeah, it was like, I was waiting for, you know, somebody to write the isolation blues and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. That was not gonna be me, by the way. I was like, you know, I was like, we're all suffering through it as it is so I, I the last thing i want to do is go write and listen to songs about it you know? yeah 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 i mean what i, I just it, it would be it would be kind of funny though if somebody was like well i'm ordering postmates again <laughs> right, right, right. oh amazon prime <laughs> by the way uh you and i have a mutual friend i'm almost positive i might fuck this up but um I do this show called the goddamn comedy jam with like comics and uh, music where the comics sing songs after their set. Like if I have a full band, it's this whole thing. And we were in Austin at the moon tower comedy festival and my band had to go to a wedding on the final show. And so they hired locally. And so we had a bass player. I'm going to fuck his name up, man. I've actually, I completely forget it, but blonde hair, dude, Austin, Texas. That's like half the, half the city. Nah, and, they, and they all play bass too. So they all, everybody plays. I play bass. Adam plays bass, dude. Right, I got right. five basses <laughs> over in the corner over there, dude. No, <laughs> fuck. What is his name, dude? He looks. God damn it. He. Lo- <laughs> I'm trying to describe. He looks like a villain from like a Bond movie. I don't know, man. Fuck. Adam, while we're doing this, like, try to find the pictures. Google I, away. Google away. I'll, it's on my phone. I'll I'll fucking find it. You know, like, it's, it's, it the answer to your question is yes. I mean, because I'm a musician, Austin is a music town, and you know, the music community is is not like this massive community, like it's pretty tight knit yeah. community. So the answer would be yes, I probably know whoever it is, and I'm sure that he's a great player too. Yeah. I should have prepared. I should have like dug through my Instagram <laughs> to find those pictures, man. Oh, but you know what, that's the thing that I love about blues musicians, because for me, I am a very passive blues fan. I, I love it. You know, through doing this podcast, I've learned about so many different greats. But the one thing I love about blues musicians is the same thing I love about jazz musicians, which is like, yeah, this is the band I'm playing with right now. But I want to I want to I want to jam with these guys because I want to see what sound we can get working with that. Is that something that, you know, that that is that has attracted you over the years? Because, I mean, you're playing with like so many different musicians. I mean, is it like you do an album with a bunch of guys or do you continue to work with them or are you moving on to other people just to see what you get? Well, from my records, I have a core, you know, I have a core group of guys. I mean, um, it's interesting, like some people use musicians in the studio, but not the same musicians live on tour or some people, you know, vice versa. And so but I generally try and find you know musicians that uh can do both and so and i and and my organization is like a family so we have people that have been with us for almost 30 years in some cases so um yeah we're we're really committed group of people so like chris layton plays drums with me chris was the drummer in uh stevie ray vaughn and and double trouble oh wow and uh, yeah and so he he goes all the way back to my first record Better heights 1995 he played on my first album he played on every album except one and he's been in my live band on and off over the years and consistently now for probably 15 years or something like that so you know i try and use those you know try and find guys that can do both studio 
and live. And so then the sound is really consistent as well. Um, As far as jamming and, you know, collaborating with other people, I mean, I find that it's really interesting. That's one of the reasons, like, when I write songs, for the most part, I like to co-write because I like to collaborate with other artists and other creative people because inevitably when you're working with someone else, they're going to draw something out of you that would not have come out if it was yeah. just you by yourself, you know? And so that go that that applies when it comes to jamming with people, you know, spontaneous things, getting called up on stage and just playing a song completely unrehearsed or writing songs for the studio or producing or, uh, you know, all of it. Yeah. Adam just sent a picture. That was actually my band. God, you gotta search deeper, Adam. You gotta search deeper. I'm gonna find this basis that you you played with, man. This is gonna be, I'm so mad at myself right now that I didn't prep for that. (laughs) All right, let's talk Muddy. So take me to the first moment you heard Muddy Waters. With very little recollection of this, but my first concert that my dad ever took me to was Muddy Waters and John Lee Hooker when I was three years old. So (sighs) yeah, my dad was actually the promoter of that concert. So he brought both of them to town and he was the organizer of the show. So I got to go to that show when I was three years old. Now, I I mean, I really cannot recall any uh, images in my mind (laughs) of the concert, but I have to say, like I, his music has affected me so much. Same with John Lee Hooker that it's like, you know, I feel like for anybody, it doesn't matter how old you are. Like if, if that's your first introduction to the blues, that's all it takes to convert you to a lifelong fan from that yeah. moment forward. And I think that that really helped set me on the path, you know, that began like the trajectory of my interest in blues music for sure. At three years old, your dad's taking you to shows. Well, my dad was in radio, right? So my dad was a, uh, Dish Jockey, program director, general manager of several radio stations in town. So I grew up around a radio station. I grew up going to all the concerts that came through town. I grew up meeting a lot of the artists that came through town, a lot of kind of behind the scenes um, stuff I was exposed to, which, you know, I had no idea at the time, but that was all, you know, being stored up here and, and was going to later on contribute to like the way my dad did his radio show um that helped me know how to put together a live concert you know and like limit you know dead air and segues for songs and things like that i mean all this stuff i was soaking up and it was all actually going to end up contributing to my career as a musician so yeah um and he dabbled in concert promotion and he had you know a festival uh, called the louisiana music festival that he did it was an annual thing and raised money from muscular dystrophy and um and that's where i met stevie ray vaughn for the first time when i was seven years old and was a real defining moment for me because it was from that moment forward that I, all I wanted to do was to learn how to play guitar with that fire and that passion and that intensity, you know, like he played with that, that affected me so much. And that was like the really, the beginning of my drive to just relentlessly practice and, and get it, you know, electric guitar and try and figure out how to do that. Had you already been listening to his records? I mean, cause you're seven, yeah. you know what I, Well, you yeah. know what I mean? Cause it's like, dude, like when I'm seven years old, I remember my obsessions with like Iron Maiden. I still can pinpoint the moment I heard Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, which changed mm. my life. Uh, just put me on a totally different direction after that. But it's like, I couldn't imagine being seven years old and meeting Slash and be, I wouldn't know what to right. do. So I mean well, like, me, yeah. Yeah, that, all that stuff, but what, what was, Interesting is that because my dad was such a music aficionado and and he worked on a lot of different formats. So he worked at a country station for a while. He did top 40. He did rock. He did active rock. You know, he did AOR, all this stuff um, over the years. So he really listened to everything, man. So I grew up, you know, I could hear 
around the house in any given day, I could hear James Brown followed by Hank Williams Jr. Followed by Stevie Ray Vaughan and ZZ Top and the Almond Brothers and so forth and so on. So I had a real broad and diverse palette, you know, when it came to music and I kind of appreciated it all. So when my, you know, when I remember when Guns N' Roses came out, I remember when Nirvana hit the scene and that was like what everybody was doing, Metallica and, or, you know, rap and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and all that stuff. And that's what everybody was into. And I could dig that too. And I was listening to all that stuff too. But at the same time, I was able to really dig into the blues as well. When a lot of my friends would be like, what are you listening to? Who's muddy who, what do you, you know? And, and they just didn't get it. Cause it wasn't like, you know, the pop, thing at the time but i was listening to all of it i mean yeah dude i mean there's if if i would have shown up at like middle school and been like y'all gotta hear this john lee hooker I mean, who the fuck are you like come on dude we're listening to poison right now so, you know, yeah, I mean, speak, speak, well, yeah and, and i went you know i went to a poison concert when they came through shreveport i saw god, it's so, dude my, my dad took stuff. me my dad took me to fucking peter paul and mary that was the concerts that, that my dad took me to. Like you're going to see like everybody, dude. So yeah, go, yeah. go ahead. What were you what were you about to say? I didn't mean to cut well, you off. As far off. as Muddy Waters goes, um, actually, this is honest God truth. Like I would go to work with my dad in the mornings when he worked at the did the morning show, uh, the radio station. So I'd get up early and I would sit there uh, in the control room with him, and I would actually like run the board and I'd pull his spots and run hit the commercials and pull all of his music for the hour. And that was really fun to me. So I would do all that. And then when it came time for me to have to go to school, this is in sixth, seventh and eighth grade, the guy that did the overnight shift would stay late and he would give me a ride to school in my dad's car while my dad was on the air. And every single day on the way to school, I would put in this Muddy Waters record. And it's, it's my favorite, one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, definitely my favorite Muddy Waters album, but I think it's, as far as blues goes, for sure, I think it's one of the greatest blues albums ever made. It's called Hard Again, okay. and it came out in 1977, which is the year I was born, and uh, on Blue Sky Records, and Johnny Winter produced the record and played guitar on it, and you can listen to it. I mean, it's just incredible from top to bottom. Every song's great, and you can tell these guys are, they're just playing it. I mean, there's no, like, fancy work going on there's no overdubs you know it's like they're just like okay let's play that song maybe they played it a couple of times and that was it moved on to the next song it's like a live performance in the studio but i would listen to that every single day on the way to middle school it was like i cranked all the way up in the car you know and that was my experience you know in middle school well what are you what are you attracted to the blues at that young age because from everything that i know and this is something that i think the reason why i'm getting into it in my late 30s and early 40s is because I've been through shit. I've felt pain of love. I've felt the pain of being poor. I've felt the pain of struggling to get success and getting screwed over by managers or whatever. Like, what are you, like, like how, because that's what this music is based in. I mean, it's not right. just, it's not just the feel of the guitar and the sound of the band and that, you know, that, if, correct me if I'm wrong, that like 12 bar progression it's yeah. it's it's there's there's a gravity to it that other music right. doesn't have so and yeah. so being that you're in seventh and eighth grade digging on that and it sounds like you you got a good family it's like your dad's incorporating shit how do you like like you know like why are you connecting with it so deeply well i think you know when you're that young first of all these are like you know your early teenage years and there's a lot of stuff going on you know changes you know you're growing up you know a lot of things are happening you're actually experiencing feelings and you're trying to make sense of all that stuff yeah um 
you know, whether it's like your first love interest or first rejection or, you know, just all of it. And it's a really interesting time emotionally, I think, in everyone's life. And so I think you're dealing with all this, all these emotions that you don't really know how to process yet. And, you know, blues is 100% emotion-based music. Yeah. It's all about feel and playing straight from the heart. And that's what they project through the music. You know, it's like they they draw from within and it comes through them as it, like a conduit through their instrument, through their voice, or singing. And those feelings are what they project out right through the music. So even though maybe I wasn't able to relate specifically to the story they were telling through the lyrics, I can relate to the feelings they were projecting. I could feel the feelings they're projecting mm -hmm. and I could relate to those, even if I didn't quite fully understand them, you know, yet. But uh, I think universally blues has evolved. I mean, it started, it was born out of oppression. It was born out of slavery mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the suffering that the black community went through. And so that's where it started. You know, they, they drew from like the spiritual songs from the church and then evolve, it evolved into um, the songs of their suffering, you know. But as they started to get further away from those particular experiences um, and blues became more, blues at one time was like pop music. It was the pop music of its day, you know. It was like, had the charts and it was like, you know, I mean, I like Elvis Presley, like, you know, covered Hound Dog and made it a massive hit. Yeah, like that, yeah, was yeah. A hit that was a hit on the R&B charts like before that, you know. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, but it evolved into this thing where it's about life and it's about relationships and it's about the complications of living life and interactions with other people. And that's something that we can all relate to. I might not be able to relate to the early roots of blues music i didn't go through that sure but what what music evolved what the blues music evolved into and the messages that were being conveyed by especially by people like, like muddy waters you know where he's like um you know i'm a man it's like this grandiose thing you know it's like sex appeal um it's you know the relationship between a man and a woman love interest uh, breakups, you know, all those kinds of things, I think are things that we can all relate to. And ultimately, and since we're going to dig into, um, you know, the Newport yeah, uh, yeah. performance, I think, you know, cause there's some videos you can look at online because they did film most of that concert. And at the end of it, there's a big jam session that happens. And you look at all the artists that he brings up on stage and everybody that's participating in the song. And those people are not sitting there feeling sorry for themselves. Like they're singing, you know, they're, they're all, you know, singing about, you know, each verse is different. And I think, you know, one guy's talking about his woman, you know, feeding them cooking cabbage and calling it collard greens and how, you know, how bad his woman is because she's like deceiving him. Yeah. But they're not up there feeling sorry for themselves. They're not up there moaning and groaning. They're celebrating. They're having a great time. Like blues music really to me is about celebrating life and, and it's ups and downs and really how to get to the other side. If you're feeling down, it's like the music is a way to process all of that and get to the other side. And the other side of feeling down is being up and joyful. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? 
not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Dude, that's the, that's the exact same shit as stand-up comedy, especially like there's stories that, that I've told on podcasts that I used to carry around as this stuff that was like super painful and like would make me judge myself for mistakes I made or whatever. And then you go on a podcast and you tell that story or if you go on stage and you tell that story, which was so negative to you at the time. And then you get laughter from people because so you've taken this negative thing right. and then made it a positive and it's literally just healing yourself. So, right. so, so I think the blues is very much like that where it's like, yeah, listen, this is how I grew up. It was hard. It was tough, but like, I'm going to sing about it. And now you're singing the lyrics with me. And now mm -hmm. we, now this horrible thing that I used to carry around is now this beautiful thing that brings so many people joy. It's, it's, it's probably, it's probably some of the, most therapeutic music out there. I mean, this is like, you know, you listen to some of these records, it's like, this is, could be the shit that like, you know, Muddy's saying to his, you know, psychologist, you know what I mean? It's like my girl right. cheating on me. This, you know, I'm, I'm broke right now. It's like, I have anxiety, you know? It's like, yeah. it's all the shit we deal with. Absolutely. What do you got right here? Blues is, blues is cathartic, Adam. Thank yeah. you for that. It's very cathartic. So, all right, so, so you, start, you start digging on him at an early age. How did that evolve and how did Muddy like, influence your playing and just like your style well it's really interesting because you know what i i really admire the confidence that he had and that was conveyed i mean you didn't have to be able you didn't have to to be able to watch him like you can hear in his delivery of his vocal the confidence in himself and what he's doing right and i really admired that like i wanted to have that i wanted to have that same kind of confidence you know when he's singing you know i'm a man and or he's you know just all these songs where he's just like kind of boasting about how badass he is i believe them and i wanted to be able to have that same kind of confidence by myself now the the thing about it though is that so for me if everybody asks me, you know, uh, who's your favorite vocalist? Like, if I could say, if I could open my mouth and sing and sound like anybody, I would want to sound like Muddy Waters. And Muddy really? Waters is not one of those people that can sing. You know, he's not like a, not like a James Brown. He's not like a, uh, you know, well, on a, on the female version would be like a Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey. He can't do all these calisthenics and these crazy trails. But what he has is this sincerity and this authenticity in his voice. And when he sings, it's like, it's literally, to me, it's conversational. Like when he's singing to you, he's at, he's telling you a story, but it's not, it's almost like he's, he's actually just speaking it to you through in, in song. And it's really, it's just remarkable. And so I always wanted to sound like that. And I am, the thing is my career started, I signed my record deal when I was 16 years old. Right. So I could play guitar at that point. I believe uh, everybody um, would say then that I was playing beyond my years, um, and I would agree with that, you know, to a degree, but what I couldn't do is I couldn't sing beyond my years. I wanted mm -hmm. to sound like muddy waters, but when I opened my mouth, I sounded like a 16 year old kid. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, when I was going to make my rec my first record, I was like, that was not the voice that I heard from my music. I, you know, so that's why I didn't sing for a long time. And I felt like the standard, I, I always hold myself to a high standard Sure. and this the the benchmark for me was muddy waters and i was just 
convinced that if I can't sound like Muddy Waters, then I have no business singing. And it took me many years to finally accept that I'm never going to sound like Muddy yeah. Waters. <laughs> and I need to just learn what it sounds like to be Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Yeah, and, yeah. And then I started doing that. And I've been singing a lot more. Like since 2004, up until now, I've sung more and more because I've become more comfortable with the sound of my voice and nice. my identity and all that stuff. But Muddy kind of wanting to be so much like him and sound like him also kind of I held myself back in a way for a while because I sure. couldn't live up to that. You know? No, totally. I just could imagine you being 16 years old, like just like in your bedroom, just with like a carton of cigarettes, just like, come on, I got to get that. Ha! Ha! Come on! Just drinking yeah. whiskey, like anything That's I can right. do. <laughs> Everybody said that, that, you know, I just need to drink a bunch of whiskey and smoke cigarettes and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, I tried a little bit of that here and there. It didn't seem to make any difference. You're like, this old blues guy, you got to drink and stay up all night. Just don't get no sleep. You're like, I'm 16. Yeah. Let me, like, you try to kill me. Was, what, was that, what was that like? You know, I couldn't imagine. Because if there's any world in music, that is predominantly these older guys, these these guys that had like these crazy lives. It's the blues genre. Like, what is that like being a 16 year old in a world of these like these, you know, monsters like these these guys that are bigger than life? And and, you know, I mean, I can only assume way older than you. Like, like, how, how are you able to stay confident and, and play guitar? Because I can say it as a comic. It's like when I first started and you're playing on a show with, with Bill Burr or some of these, these greats and it's like, fuck man. It's like, I'm only, you know, 28. These guys are like 40. It's like, they have this, this whole world of experience. Like, like, yeah. how are you, like, what did you, what did you have to do mentally to prepare yourself kind of for that world? Well, you know, I'm not, I didn't really do a lot to mentally prepare myself. I just always felt like I've always continued to be a fan. So like, I looked yeah. up to these guys. These guys were my idols, and I never got to the point, you know, where I always felt like privileged to be there. Yeah, and I still do to this day, right? And you know, I, I mean, uh, through my career, I mean, BB King became like a father to me. You know, literally like a father to me. I mean, I we had a really close and very long, decades long relationship, and uh, Hubert Sumlin, the guitar player from Helen Wolf's band, and. Um, and I got to know like Pine Top Perkins from Muddy Waters Band and those guys because we did a thing, you know, back in 2004 or five uh, with them. And, and I got close with them. We took Pine Top out on the road with us and stuff. I mean, I, I got to be close with these people. And what was interesting is a lot of times like BB was always incredibly welcoming to everybody because he was he knew he was the king of the blues and he knew that it was responsibility was you know, to encourage, you know, the up and comers. And, yeah. and he was very much like that. Um, but other musicians would, it was interesting. I would run it. First of all, I'm young. So, you know, you kind of have that going against you. And sometimes I don't know that it mattered to these people in particular, but sometimes it was like, I'm a young white kid and mm -hmm. I want to step up and I want to get on stage and play blues. And there's a little bit of skepticism, you know, sometimes, but every single time that I would feel that kind of vibe from anybody, if they allowed me the opportunity to pick up my instrument, the minute I started playing, all of it went away. Because nice. the bottom line is, it's like, you know, music brings people together and they can identify with they where I'm coming from and I can identify with where they're coming from. And when they hear me play, I believe they feel, okay, this guy's, he's coming from an authentic place. This is the real deal. And that's how, that's, you know, one of the first ways that, that I would be able to establish, open the door to a relationship with some of these people that were initially skeptical about me is, you know, just by them hearing 
you know, that all this goes away and then they hear me and they yeah. feel me. Right. Yeah. And then, and then everything else is, is like nothing. You know? All right. Well, do you, what do what tell me, tell me your favorite, like, Oh shit moment where you, you pick up that guitar and you're like, they're like looking at you as that white boy. And then you, it's 16 year old white boy, you pick up that guitar and then you fucking shred. Like, what's your favorite? Like where you, that you see the faces on the dudes around you who you were with that were like this motherfucker. God damn. Like, well, for like the most memorable was the first time I ever got on stage and I was actually 13 years old. And this was, kind of speaks to what I was just talking about is, you know, there were several times where there'd be a local band or whatever. And, you know, I was always pretty shy, but um, my dad was always trying to push me to not be so shy and to get out there and, you know, hi, my name is Kenny Wayne, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like he, he made me go introduce myself to Eric Clapton one time. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, 14 years old. I'm like, Eric Clapton don't know who I am. He may still not know who I am. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But anyways, uh, <laughs> You know, he's trying to push me to not be so shy and come out of my shell. So anyways, we, you know, there'd be a band, a local blues band or whatever. And, and you know, I'd kind of be like, oh, I got my guitar. And, you know, people would just look at me like with skepticism. It's like this little, there wasn't a whole like ton of young teenage kids in the first place around the country trying to play blues music. So that was kind of probably weird anyways. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there's a skepticism, right? So finally... We're in New Orleans. There's this guy named Brian Lee who played down on the, the old Absent House Bar on Bourbon Street, which was the oldest place uh, in the French Quarter. And so he had a house gig there and he, and we loved him and his music. We had cassettes, like his albums and stuff. And I would listen to him all the time. And we drive down from Shreveport, Louisiana, where I'm from, to New Orleans to go see him and his band playing. So one night, finally, I always had my guitar with me everywhere I went. And so they were like, so one of the people in our group went up to Brian in between sets and said, hey man, we got this kid. He's a good guitar player. He'd really like to get up and jam with you. Well, Brian is blind, right? And okay. so Brian's not able to to look at me and judge me. And so, but he was still a little, you know, skeptical. So he was like, all right, look, you know, the guy can get, he can get up and he can do two songs and then he's got to get down. This is my show, you know, but I'll let him get up and play a couple songs. And so I think that kind of helped. And he even speaks to that in the documentary film that we did 10 days out. Okay. Um, and he talks about the idea that he couldn't see me, maybe kept him from judging me. And he let me get up on stage. I played the two songs. I was getting ready to walk off. And he was like, wait a minute. And he kept me up on stage all night for the rest nice. of the night. I played till like 3 or 4 a.m. And I got my first standing ovations. And I knew this was a moment when I got up there that I was going to sink or swim because I had not done this before. So I was like, I'm either going to gonna you know i'm gonna succeed or i'm gonna fail miserably and i'm never doing this again and yeah. thankfully i got up there and i played and people literally stood to their feet it was the first standing ovations and i got on every song and i was just like hey man this gave me the confidence well i was like well maybe i can actually maybe i can do something with this instrument you know yeah. maybe i can you know pursue music yeah, yeah, yeah. How tired were you in in class? And did you have school the next day? You're just like, no, 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 no. I'm sure your it, was drink, a, it was yeah, weekend. You're drinking with them. It's like five in the morning. Like, oh shit, I got fucking, I got algebra tomorrow. Let me get that fucking. Dude, I love that. I love that, Kenny. I love that. I love that. I love that. All right, let's let's talk about this record. Uh, because I could talk to you about about your shit forever, man. It's that's that's so badass. All right. Uh, so we are doing Muddy Waters at Newport 1960. Uh, this is a recording of Waters' performance at the Newport Jazz Festival on July 3rd, 1960 in Rhode Island. It is uh, his first live release, supported by his longtime backup band, usually billed as the Hoochie Coochie Boys. God, I love that. 
and played a mix of popular stuff and new stuff. Uh, let's, let's go through the lineup. The lineup includes Otis Spann on piano and vocals. Considered awesome. to be, you know, you dig this, dude? Because this, yeah, I can't think, dude, the, the names of blues players is always the best. Otis Spann, there's not like a real like, you know, like blind Otis or uh-huh. We should do that in everybody. The way we kind of like give whatever they're, their like you know like issue is you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. line willie jenkins you had another one that you said fuck who did you say it was like oh, pine top pine yeah. top perkins yeah dude it would be like yeah. you know well, look, he had, muddy had a drummer um later on after after uh the guy that was playing drums on this francis clay um yeah and his name was willie big eyes smith nice you know they all have these it's almost <laughs> like the it's almost like the mafia you know yeah and, they, yeah, and yeah. these guys like name you know give each other these nicknames and stuff it'd be like hi nice to meet you i'm uh post-traumatic stress disorder josh adam myers i'm like all right <laughs> uh, sorry so james cotton on harmonica pat Hare on guitar and like you said francis clay on oh andrew stevens on bass and francis clay on drums cited to be huge influence uh on drummer uh who just recently passed away charlie watts of the rolling stones um, something I found to be really interesting about this record is it almost didn't happen. So the mm-hmm. day before this was recorded, performances by Ray Charles and singing group Lambert Hicks and Ross were met with unruly crowds. About 300 drunken revelers made a commotion during Charles' performance. The riots became so out of control that the National Guard was called in at midnight to calm the crowd. Uh, the Sunday performance was almost canceled by the city council, but concert promoter George Wayne, I think I said his name right, <laughs> convinced them when he said that the United States Information Agency planned to film the festival to teach American culture in other countries. The backup band played for John Lee Hooker set before doing Muddy's set. So I wanted to ask you before we even get into this, what's the wildest show you've ever played? National Guard had to be called? Uh, no. Um... <laughs> I don't think we've had any experiences like that, to be honest with you. I know that there was like a couple of shows that we've done over the years where they're like, uh, you know, the Hell's Angels are here and that, you know, they want to show up and, you know, they want to do security. And, you know, there's that famous story about them doing that for the Rolling Stones. Oh, Altamont. Yeah. No, at Altamont yeah. where they stabbed the dude because the, the Rolling Stones, the, whoever the promoter was, hired the, the Hell's Angels to do security. And it was like during the story, that's that famous video where like Mick Jagger's like, please just calm down. Like, don't hurt each other. We're just trying to have a good time. And little did you know that they were just fucking people up in the audience. Right. Well, we never had anything like that happen, but that's one of those things. And, you know, you hear stuff like, oh, you know, these guys want to, and I'm like, I have not, you know, I, I, I don't handle who does security here. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, we're a blues band. I mean, you know, the Rolling Stones are like, you know, one of the biggest bands of all time. Uh, you know, we are a blues band. So, sure. I mean, you know, there's not usually like riots breaking out at our shows. And nowadays, you know, if anything, you got to, you know, it's like everybody's like pretty mellow. Um, you know, there's a, a bit of an older demographic. So no roadhouse think, shit. No, like no, behind no, the chain, they're throwing yeah. beer bottles. We've no, we've had no, that's happened. I mean, I'm just talking about we haven't had like riots. No, I, no, I know. <laughs> Most well, I mean, people have we've had uh you know there's been massive fights that have brought broken out in the audience you know between a group of people and they yank those people out and and you know what's what's bad about that is is that you know it's a distraction for the band so like we're up there and all of a sudden you see like half the audience is not looking at you anymore and you're like well what are they looking at then you see like you know people just going at it to me it's like 
violence is like it's pretty ugly it's not people's best look you know when you got two people and they're drunk and they're going at it and you know pulling hair and throwing punches it's like this is not your best moment you know yeah so it's a huge distraction it disrupts the show and the vibe for everybody it takes a little while to recover from that this episode is brought to you by pepsi wild cherry pepsi wild cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest, to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Um, I will say, though, uh, you know, we had a the, the most intense experience that we ever had which was not crowd related but we were out on the road we had hubert Sumlin uh on tour with us from uh alan wolf's band nice and hubert had a uh he had like a pacemaker or something um you know for his heart for if yeah. his heart would start beating irregularly it would shock him and sometimes he would be on stage and he would get too close this is what he told me he thought it was from the amplifiers and the big magnets on the back of the speakers yeah and he thought that the magnets was interfering with the thing on his heart and it would shock him and so we were in the middle of a performance one time and that thing shocked him and he collapsed on stage oh shit and just straight fell out on stage and I, I think for a moment everybody in the in the theater thought like that was it like you know we just watched you know, a blues legend <laughs> die on stage. And it was, and he was actually okay. It took him a few minutes uh, to come back and they got him off stage and they, you know, had paramedics and all that stuff. But that was the hardest show of my life because actually, you know, we were really killing it. And then I feel like I'm on stage with one of my heroes. And then I feel like I just witnessed him die. Oh, fuck, yeah. And then they carry him off and then the, he's back and he's okay. But like, this was a three hour long concert and we were only an hour and a half into the show. And I still, we still had to finish an hour and a half's worth of music after I had this massive influx of emotions, you know, it's like one minute we're on top of the world, rocking yeah. out. The next minute he hits the floor and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then the next minute they're like, no, he's okay. And now let's keep on rocking and rolling. You know, it's like, <laughs> that was the craziest show ever, for sure. Uh, I remember one time we were playing a show, I think it was actually at Antone's in Austin for Moon Tower, because that's the venue they always set us up at, at Antone's, which we just did five shows there this, like, two weeks ago. And I remember, like, my, my I swear to God, my, my guitarist is always, he, he, he always gets, he's the one that gets sick. 
he's the one. It's just something that always goes wrong with him. Is he has a child born three days before the show, whatever the fuck it is. And I remember one time we were rocking, uh, we were doing the show, and then he just like we stopped the song, and then he just <laughs> vomited on the side of the stage. And was like, oh. all right, I'm good. All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Keep it going. I was like, I was like, yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> rock, rock and roll. It doesn't stop for indigestion. Come on. Um, all right, tell me what what do you love about this record in particular? Because for me, and I'll say this straight away, is that the other like live blues records that we've done on this podcast, Adam, pull the list up too because I might fuck some of these up. Uh, some of the live albums that we done. I'm not even gonna talk about blues. Uh, mm. First one we did was BB King live at Cook County. Ooh, that's great, man. That's the best, dude. I love when he's, like, talking. He's like, so... Because he, he did this whole thing with... It wasn't even a call and response, but he'd be like, so that was when I'm talking to my woman, and I was like, get home and cook me supper, you know, and I'm gonna go home and watch the game and hope the Yankees cover the spread. And it's just... It's a great record, and that was really my first foray into live blues albums. We've done, uh, and this is totally off genre, but we did Sam Cooke uh, live at um, the Harlem Square Club, which in my opinion might be one of the greatest, uh, not just you know live albums, but records I've ever heard because you capture the party. You capture that feeling in the crowd of, right. of what that must have been like in that room where it sounds like uh -huh. it's about the roof's about to fucking explode. Right. Um, and then we've done like Cheap Trick, Live at Budokan, uh, which is great. I know that was extremely popular. Uh, Can I make it, a couple of recommendations, Steve? Please, please recommend. The, if you want to do another BB King one with, that captures the audience and the vibe and yeah. like the the superstar that he was at the time, especially with the young women and stuff, it's uh, live at the Regal Theater, Ooh. which is uh, similar in in performance and intensity to the Cook County Jail. Those are my two favorite BB King live records, but yeah. live at the Regal, man. He sings like a line and you can just hear the girls are screaming and you can just hear the they're like melting all over. You know, and then another one is Albert King live wire blues power. Yeah. Uh, what, and there's a song that he does. Um, oh, man, of course, I'm going to blank right now, but he lays it out. He does his whole explanation of what the blues is. Right. And this song, yeah. he breaks it down and he lays it all out. But one of the greatest live guitar tones ever recorded is that one. And then the last one I'd recommend to you outside of blues music is James Brown, Live at the Apollo, 1969, Revolution of the Mind. Ooh. And that's another one where like the band is just freaking smoking and you can hear, you can almost like feel the sweat dripping off everybody in the room, yeah. you know, and the crowd and their response to him. And I mean, it's like, it's, it's deep, man. Isn't it crazy that James Brown was like five, six and he, and he had like the power of like a seven foot nine, like giant, like it, it's, it's, inc it's incredible. You mentioned Albert King. One of the records we did on this podcast was born under a bad sign. Uh, I don't know if you have these songs. I like to call them cry songs. The very, I think it's the final song on that record, Albert King. Adam, check it for me. Check my math. I think it's, uh, it's the one where it's like, the very thought of you. I can't think of the fucking name, but God damn that. That was so great. 
It's such a great song. Uh, this is what I love about this podcast, man. It's just, just opened me up to so much different music. You know, BB King, you know about him. You, you've you've seen him perform with everybody. You know how many people are influenced by him. Yeah. And then you really dig into these records. Same with 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 John Lee Hooker, uh, yeah. and, and now with with Money. And it's like. Whereas I put some of those other records and you can really hear the feel of the audience. You can hear it here, but I feel right. like the recording is still more focused on the band. The very thought of you, that was what the song is. So I was right. Thank you, Adam. But I well, think- well, with I gotta throw I gotta throw it in there. The, the song, the Albert King song was actually the title track. It's yes. Blues Power. Blues Power is a song where he lays out his explanation. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. The title track. Yeah. So, so, so for this, it was where it's like, I, I feel like you're really capturing what the band is doing. They sound incredible. Uh, and it's like, it sounds like a band that's having just a lot of fun on stage right. playing with what they're playing in front of that audience. Um, I mean, I loved it. So your thoughts on this record, what do you love? Uh, I, mean, I would say, what do you dislike, but just, you know, just your thoughts, please. The thing that I would recommend to anybody, one of the, the pure genius elements in particular of Muddy's band, but a lot of the bands of the era at that time, and some did it better than others. Muddy probably had one of the best bands that could, that could handle this approach to blues or music in general was intuitively knowing how to play around each other and, like, so in particular, go listen to Otis Spann. Listen back to this record and tune in specifically to the piano and everything the piano's playing. Because there's like, Muddy's singing and he's weaving all these amazing freaking piano licks and fills all around Muddy's vocal. And not only is he doing that, but James Cotton at the same time is doing the same thing with the harmonica but not stepping on Otis Spann. So like they're all weaving, it's this constant, like uh, it's this fluid influx of like, you know, playing and musicianship yeah. and they're all listening to each other and they're all looking for the holes and they're filling them, but they're not overplaying. Not like they're not like pounding on their chest and trying to have outshine muddy. It's just, it, it takes true um, uh, musicianship and intuition to know how to do that and do it as well as they did it. So, and that, that happens through the whole record. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I love the most because freaking Otis would be playing a, it's almost like he's doing a solo, but he's not, but he's like, you know, doing everything in between the vocal and he's never outshining Muddy or stepping on him. It's mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah. You know? uh, oh, I completely agree with you. I mean, it definitely sounds like this band is playing. I mean, how I, I would love to know, like, and Adam, maybe you can look this up. Like, at this point, how long has this band been playing together? Do you know, Kenny, do you know? Like, from yeah, when this was know. recorded? I, no, I, well, I don't know. So this was recorded in 1960, but, like, sometimes they would have guys that would, you know, come and go. Like, right now he's got Otis Spann, but, like, in some of my favorite Muddy Waters days, he had a completely different band, even though they still were able to capture a very similar sound. Um, like Willie Big Eye Smith on drums could play, uh, you know, these kinds of shuffles, just almost identical to the way this band does it. Um, James Cotton was probably there for the longest, but like later on, my favorite Muddy Waters band is Willie Big Eye Smith, Pine Top Perkins, Bob Margolin on guitar, uh, and then Johnny Winter and uh, Muddy, and then I think Calvin Fuzz Jones on bass, and Mo, that's the and James Cotton on harmonica, and I think the only person from this band right here that's the same is is James Cotton and then Muddy Waters. You know? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's go. Let's just talk about some of the tracks on the record. All right, so it opens with uh, "I Got My Brand on You." Just, uh, just I, one thing is, I fucking love slow blues. I don't think there's a sexier music uh, than slow blues. It's a really great opener in this song. He's basically singing about how once you get a taste of muddy, you'll have mm-hmm. a tough time resisting and leaving him. You'll always come back. I mean, you said something earlier about these guys, you know, in a sense being like sex symbols. And if you look at all of them, they're they're all kind of chunky and like, you know, they're not like they're not like you know, Brad Pitt. I mean, I don't know why I put him as like the highest level of, of sexy, but you know what I mean. It's like, it's so, like, go ahead. I I hear what you're saying, but Muddy Waters was very dapper. I mean, yeah. you look at his hair, go look at some, uh, you know, pr- some real like staged photos of him and his, his hair is all like done up perfect. He always had a suit on. I mean, even in this, if you go look at this, this video, all those guys are wearing like white suits. He's got the black suit on, his button all the way up to the top. Collar is like tight. I mean, he, you know, I'm sure he has some nice shoes on and they were shined up nice and perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he was not half stepping and I guarantee you the ladies and, and maybe he didn't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I looks are a personal preference, right? But, sure. like, but, but so much of that can be made up for in confidence and stuff that he had, I believe he had both. Uh, and he conveyed that in his songs, just like you said, I got my brand on you. I mean, I keep going back to I'm a man, but I got my mojo working. It's the same thing, except that's the only time that I think he's actually admitting that it ain't working on somebody. You know, he's like, I got my <laughs> mojo working, but it just don't work on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in I'm a man, he's like, you know, he's just laying out every reason why he's the man. And, you know, at one point he's like, I make the moon come up two hours late. You know, it's like, I, you know. I, I will affect how the world goes round. You know, yeah. it's just incredible statements Fuck. and with conviction. I love it. Hey, show Adam, put up, pull up the video with the live performance so we can see, I want to see how these guys are dressed. I want to see how dapper these motherfuckers are. Like go. You're gonna make pretty women's jump and shout. Yeah, man. <laughs> then the world wanna know what this all about. Oh, uh, yeah, all right, I'd fuck him. There it yeah. is. He's, he's a good looking <laughs> yeah. dude, man. He's His hair's dapper, the suit's pressed, you know what I mean? He looks yeah. incredible. And you know it's hot, man. It's July 3rd. Oh, my God. He's yeah. sweating his balls off, dude. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I wore a flannel uh, last night here in New York City, and it was like 70 degrees, and it's, it's October, and I was like sweating on stage. I couldn't imagine, yeah. imagine being in a three-piece, button right. all the way up. But that's how important, you know, the profile was. To him. Yeah, it's dude. like I gotta represent. Yeah, dude. Do you still do you still have your rock and roll outfits or your, your blues outfits? You have your shit that you, you know I what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, got lot, I got a lot of like of the you know well photographed outfits. Um, things that I don't have are like you know went from the very early on part of my career where nobody even knew if this was gonna work out or not, and I was on <laughs> yeah. stage and I had like a bright red suit on and you know that thing got tossed a long time ago but there's an actual like where that was one of our first press photos it was me wearing that red suit 
but I didn't save that. But yeah, I got, you know, I'm not a big collector of my own stuff, but I've yeah. held on to sentimental things that, you know, significance over the yeah, years. Yeah, you got to keep your box of shit, dude. We all got, we've all got a box of shit that we just like, yeah. oh man, I got it. Fuck it. I remember this thing. All right, let's yeah. move on. What do you got? What are you pulling up? There, there oh shit, yeah. dude. Dude, I swear to God, my friend, who's another comic named Jeremiah Watkins, uh, saved this picture, Adam. He used to wear like a red blazer on stage when he first started performing and he had hair like that as well. I cannot wait to, to pull up. If you can find it, Adam, I swear, please. Jeremiah Watkins. All right, let's move on while you look that up. Red, red blazer. All right. Uh, I'm your hoochie coochie man. I mean, this is like just a fucking staple. This is, I mean, this song from what, I, what I've got right here is probably uh, most popular and identifiable songs. Uh, it's written by Willie Dixon. Right. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, traditional uh, Delta-based blues, if I'm not mistaken. No, 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 no. no. Please correct Hoochie, Coochie, Hoochie Coochie Man, is that's straight up Chicago. There it is. Yeah, like that's... Barrel House, straight up, you know, like this is like 100%. And what's interesting about Hoochie Coochie Man is the way the song, it's the same pattern. It's monotonous. It's almost hypnotic. You know, the only time that it changes is at the end. It's like when they're ending the song, it's the only time that they play anything different. And But you know what, it works. Any other song ever that you just played the same thing over and over and over again for that long, anybody yeah. would get bored of it. But it, somehow it just works and it's genius. Oh, dude, I just love the term hoochie coochie too, man. And it's like, yeah. you know, right? it's, it's, dude, blues is so sexual. Yeah. Well, so. yeah, it is. It is, which is interesting, you know, considering how young I was getting into it. But like I said, you know, even if I couldn't relate to the words, I could feel really it. like, Kenny, you don't know about hoochie or coochie. <laughs> you will. Okay. Don't worry. Oh, you will. Take off that red outfit and you're going to get a lot of coochie. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, so, well, just so everybody knows, if you're wondering what hoochie coochie means, it's used in different contexts. Peers of the late 19th century, the hoochie coochie was a sexually provocative dance. Of course it was. Of course it was a provocative dance. It's the only thing you can do with it. Something I thought was really cool, the Blues Foundation and the Grammy Hall of Fame recognizes this song for its influence in popular music. And the U.S. Library of Congress National Recording Registry selected it for preservation in 2004. Yeah, this is an important song. This is... This is, you know, this is fucking important. All right, what do we got? Any, you want to add anything to this, Kenny? Well, I will say, since you mentioned Willie Dixon wrote it, Willie Dixon is probably the most prolific songwriter in blues music. Like, uh, I can't even tell you how many, because I don't know his full catalog, but, like, he wrote m so many of the blues standards like this that people know all the way around the world are songs that he wrote. I mean, it was unbelievable the amount of, of hit songs that he turned out in blues right on man baby please don't go i love the solos at the end they go off this was originally written by delta blues musician big joe williams uh considered to be one of the most played arranged and rearranged pieces in blues history thoughts on this version or do you want to hear some of it your call i mean you, you know i know the song i mean everybody knows the song <laughs> i mean i just i feel like you know it's one of those things where muddy did so many of these songs so many different ways and from live recordings to in the studio multiple times that like you hear it and then you just kind of hone into your favorite version that he did you know yeah that 
And I don't know that this particular version of Baby Please Don't Go is my favorite. I think a much earlier version I, I like better, uh, but a really great song for sure. I mean, it's, 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 uh, so many people have covered this song. So many. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a staple of not just blues, but like rock and roll. I mean, ACDC uh, covered it, Aerosmith. Uh, it's just, it's just a fucking great song. I, I want to get to side two. I got my mojo working. Uh, Cause this is like, this is what I came here for. This is what I wanted. This is everything. I love Love the call and response at the end. Uh, Adam, mm -hmm. play, play 236 and it got my mojo working. Got my mojo working. Got my mojo working. Got my mojo working. Got my mojo Yeah, dude, that's it right there, dude. That's it right there. If you have the video handy, if you can look it up, they have that song on the video and then you can see this is the moment like Muddy would kind of stand there the whole show and just deliver his vocal and play his guitar. There wasn't a whole bunch of like jumping around or any of that kind of stuff until this song. And then this song is like, this is the last song pretty much I think before the encore. Mm -hmm. And this is when he starts letting loose and he dances and he's shaking his body and he's doing all that stuff. And you can see it in the video, uh, which really lets you know how much he's getting into it. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Adam, find that. I'll go through some of the stats while uh, while you pull that up. So this was originally written by Preston Red Foster in 1956. In Muddy's version, he made some tweaks, added some lyrics, changing some of the arrangement. In 1984, blues historian Jim O'Neill noted that the two-part rendition that secured the song's renown uh, was on the groundbreaking LP Muddy recorded live at the Newport Jazz Festival in 1960. He also called this song a standard in countless blues band repertoires. I mean, this is... Absolutely. Yeah, this yeah. is like... I, I mean, how many times have you played this song, Kenny? Well, I mean, we did it, right? So we did it with my documentary we with Muddy's band because we put all his guys back together. And then we did this song. Pine Top was singing it and everything. And then we took him out on the road and we're, we're doing it in the show, so... I mean, there's no telling how many times this song's yeah, been played yeah, yeah. by the people. Uh, you got yeah. the clip? Play the clip, Adam. Look out now. That's a shirtless white dude. There it is. That's what white people do. Wait, as soon as we start enjoying stuff, we take our shirts off. Right, right. But that's, that's cool, right? Like he's really into it. That's his that's the big 
moment, you know. No, and and you know what's funny is what I mentioned is that it's you can hear them having fun. You can mm. you can hear it. I feel like they really capture that in this recording and in this performance. I mean, how could you not? I mean, this the the songs that they're doing are are staples of of blues. You have a you have a performer at the top of his game playing with the band of guys that he loves. You know, they're right. playing one of the most respected festivals at the time. I mean, yeah. you know, he's he's dapper. I mean, he, dude, you were right. I shouldn't have said that earlier. I was like, yeah, this guy's like, dude, he killed it. Hey, killed so, it. Dude, I don't know if you mentioned before, but you know that they say, and I don't, I, I can't speak to this, but I've heard that they say that this would, they claim this is the first live blues recording. Yes, yes, we had that up at the top. Uh, maybe, I don't know if I mentioned it, but yeah, this is, uh, it's considered to be one of the first live blues albums and influence on the emerging white blues scenes. Uh, we just talked about that with the Yardbirds, uh, both in the United States and the United Kingdom. And it ranks as one of the most culturally and musically significant moments of the 20th centuries. Isn't that crazy? All this stuff happened in Newport. Like, Bob Dylan went electric at Newport, you know, yeah. and Muddy Waters did this and yeah, all this significant, you know, stuff happened. I played the Newport Jazz Fest, which I thought was super cool, man. And it was a different experience, you know, for me, obviously, so many years later. But uh, I mean, because of the production, I mean, these guys are look at the stage they're on. It's not even that big of a stage. You know? <laughs> it's like it's like, like three nails short of it falling apart. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like. There's yeah. probably like there's probably like you know like a like a like a like a pig weight contest going over in the corner. I mean it's yeah. it's it's dude. I mean festivals have fucking changed, bro. Now yeah. it's like, and you, but these guys changed music history. Yeah, and they're playing on this little bitty stage, and and uh, and there's no like fireworks, and there's no uh, you know massive light show and all that stuff. It's just all about the music. Now, I, you know, and that's, and I think that's the thing that, that we have lost over the years as far as music festivals. You know, we, I've been very lucky to be able to, I played Bonnaroo, I've played Bumbershoot, I've done, you know, Outside Lands like three years in a row. And it, it's, you know, it's, it, they become commercialized and they're not, they're not launching you know, these, these stars like they used to, where it's like this one performance can change <laughs> everything you know like right. you said bob dylan going electric i mean that must have blown people's fucking minds when that happened and then right. seeing seeing otis redding at the what's the real famous one that he did uh i want to say Mon, not montreal Monch, uh montro montro yeah it's yeah. like it's one of the greatest performances you've ever seen then something like like queen at live aid which is like I mean, right. you know, 200,000, maybe 150,000, you know, who knows big the number was, but still it's like, that's, that's legendary status. I don't think that we right. have that anymore. Um, well, it, you know, it happens, but a lot of times they're intentionally trying to make it happen and then it never actually lives yeah. up to the, but I will say like, I love a good light show and I love like, you know, a good production and stuff like that. But anytime I'm watching an artist, uh, that's that has a show of that caliber i'm still listening like there's a moment where i go i close my eyes and i listen to the music or i look i watch just the band and i tune all that other stuff out and i go could these guys hold everybody's attention if they were playing in a bar with none of this stuff would it still be as interesting you know because yeah. that's the key because i've seen some bands and i'm not gonna call out any names at all but i've seen some shows where i'm like you take away this light show man and, you know, whether they got dancers or whatever, but all this, like, this moving lights and the fog machine and all that stuff, that's the excitement. I'm like, you take all this away and, uh, you know, 
there's not much of a show going on here. So, you know, I always listen first and foremost is like to make sure that whoever's on stage that has all this production, could they, would you still be rocking as hard if all sure. that stuff? No, I love that. I love that. All right. So then let me ask you this best live performance you've ever seen, but best, you know, without, with the flash or without the flash, either way. I don't know, man. I don't, you know, I, I'm never a fan of best anything. It's all subjective and, you know, where one person except one band excelled in this area and blew me away. Another band may have excelled in a different area and sure. blew me equally as away. So I, I don't really know. I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan is the guy that every time I saw him, I was so locked into what he was doing that literally the whole world could have blown up around me and I would have never seen it coming because I was just locked, locked in to what he was doing and he didn't have all that stuff. Um, but there's been, a, I've seen a lot of shows. Like I've toured with, the stones but i like as a 13 year old i went to and saw the atlantic city uh show of the steel wheels tour that they brought yeah. it was pay-per-view and everything i was mm -hmm. at that show and they brought john lee hooker out they brought eric clapton out and you're like oh my gosh it's, and you know and you get guys like that that uh, we were talking about this the other day i was talking with a friend and we were talking about like somebody like the eagles or the stones or whatever and you're just like they play a song and you're like damn that you know that was a hit and then here's the next song oh my gosh it's like hit after hit after hit and you're just like oh man your head is spinning like how is it possible for one man to do all of that you mm -hmm. know in a career and you know that kind of stuff just blows me away yeah oh god I, I couldn't agree with you more could not agree with you more. there's something about and that's why it's even it, you know it, it'll it'll never it'll never go away just like you know you can buy the albums we can listen to them at home and we can love them and we can play them over and over, but there's something about going into, uh, you know, cause I go all the time since the pandemic's ended. I've seen, you know, I, I mean, I see, I've seen everybody. I saw Guns N' Roses and then I live right next to the Gramercy theater. So now I'm just popping in on a random day cause I know everybody there and I'll, I'll go see like Soulfly, which is like, you know, thrash metal. I, dude, I, I paid to go see Corn, <laughs> Just cause it's like, I just, there's something about going to see live music. It's this beautiful yep. thing. And that feeling when you're in the audience, like you said, and it's like, they play, fuck, they played that song. And everybody's singing it. It's, there, there's, there's nothing better. There really is nothing better, man. God, I wish you did have a favorite though. I wish I could be like, fuck yeah, dude. I, yeah, I can't, you know, I'm not, I can't pick it out. Like if I sat and thought, about it for a while i might be able to come up with something but okay all right here we go rapid questions and we'll get you out of here kenny this was great man i'm stoked man it's uh, i'm a fan and i really appreciate you taking time out to to come and talk sure. to us about this legend all right here we go we ask these same questions to end the podcast every show favorite song on this record oh well i know you hate favorites but you gotta uh, give us give us the one that you you listen uh, to the probably, most well probably hoochie coochie man that's just like every time i hear that song by muddy waters i'm just like oh my gosh you know and a lot of people have done it but his is the one that blows me away okay now this is it now this is this one you might not have the answer to because i know you 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 feel blues on such a deeper level but we gotta ask this least favorite song on this album um so it's not that it's my least favorite it's the one that i every time i hear it it bothers me because i'm not so it's it says it's called tiger in your tank okay right but the way he sings it it doesn't sound like he's actually saying tiger but sometimes you have to sing words not the same way you would say them right but i'm not totally convinced that he's saying tiger um 
and I'm trying to figure out, well, if he is saying Tiger, because a lot of times, man, they wouldn't have like lyric sheets to these blues songs back in the day. And so you look up lyrics to certain blues songs and, and it's just like what some person typed up that they thought that they were saying because yeah. they don't actually have the lyrics. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And I, this is the one that confuses me. And maybe I'm being dense right now because sometimes things will just like obvious things will go right over my head. But what does that mean? I'll put a tiger in your tank. I don't care what the people think. I'm going to put a tiger in your tank. Let me see if I got it. Do we have anything on that, Adam? I'm thinking of like uh, the nozzle on a, uh, you know, at the gas station, you know, I'm trying to make the car (laughs) association. It's filling her her up with gas. Here's what I got. Here's what I got. So this is also written by Willie Dixon. This is inspired by, oh, wait, hold up. Holy shit, dude. You might have nailed it on the head. This really? was inspired by Esso Gasoline's popular advertising campaign created in 1959. Muddy gave it a suitably high-octane, raunchy treatment that he repeated the next very next month at the performance we're talking about today. A tiger was the logo of Esso okay. Gasoline. Yeah, dude, so you were fucking right on about that. Okay, so see, I didn't know that part of it. So obviously it is tiger, but I thought maybe there's like a name uh, uh, for the nozzle part of the, uh, of the filler for the gas uh, (laughs) pump. And maybe that, you know, it sounded like tiger, but it actually has a different name, but so, okay. I I get it now. But every time I've listened to that song, it always makes me uncomfortable because I never fully understood it. Now that I understand it, maybe it won't bother me as much. Yeah. But right now also at the same time, we need to get into renewable energy. So you know what? Fuck that song, dude. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know man i still like a nice high horsepower gas i know engine. so do i man i mean this electric bullshit is boring as hell i don't want to drive a silent car i want something that fucking roars man give me i mean tiger. i like both i like having options and i like be- people being able to choose which one they want good know? answer dude good answer you you, you kept both sides because there's there's fans right now that are like gasoline and then there's fans that are like no kenny we have to save the environment you just fucking I've had both. right I've down had, the middle. i have cars that i have cars that get like eight miles per gallon and then i had a tesla for several years too so you know i'm a mo i'm a car enthusiast so i just like the the driving experience and i think options are good Options are good. Coming from the guy that just had a had a Porsche that just guzzled gasoline. That was that was the best car I've ever driven. I love that fuck. I miss it. I hope Matt LeBlanc, because I sold it to Matt LeBlanc from Friends. I uh, swear to God, he owns a dealership in Van Nuys. When I moved right before I moved to New York, I sold it to his dealership, and I got he was there. He was eating chicken wings while I signed the paperwork. True story. <laughs> swear to God, coolest guy I ever met. So Matt. He's, he's eating chicken wings going, man, I got this. I, pay, I really lowballed this guy on this Porsche, man. <laughs> yeah, they, they took some money from him. They paid me too. So either way, <laughs> I love you, Matt. I'll, I'll call you later, even though I'll, I'll never see him again. All right. <laughs> if you could pick a moment in this album to define you, what would it be? To define me? Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, an actual moment. I don't know. To be honest with you, I mean, my favorite moment watching it visually was what was you that? guys should show when he was like getting down and he was cutting loose and you know because he's kind of stoic for a lot of the rest of the show but he's all business it's not like he's like shy he's just he means business man i don't uh, i don't know about a particular moment i'm just gonna I, i'm just gonna go with the uh yeah mojo working no 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 yeah and that's good because that's i think i would pick that too it's like you you can you can play the song straightforward you can feel the music but when you feel the music that's that's what you know 
that's what's fun in my right. opinion. And you could tell he's having fun right there. All right. This is a weird question. I got to ask you, but I feel like you'll give a good answer. What song on this record would you fuck to? <laughs> oh, Hoochie Coochie Man, without a doubt. Yeah, dude. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's what the whole song is about. 100%. That's, that's all he's talking about. But nah, but I picked a different one. Hold on. I picked, what did I pick? Because I would fuck the Hoochie Coochie Man, but I literally wrote on one of these songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Soon Forgotten, Creepily Slow Blues. And all I wrote is, I'd fuck to this. So <laughs> I'd do both. I would do both. I'd start yeah. with one, you know. I know I'd start with the slow one and then I'd go right to Hoochie Coochie Man and uh, I'd get probably around the second guitar solo, I'd be done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. If you pick the slow blues, usually that's the longest song on the record. Well, that's all the foreplay. Well, okay. I'm all foreplay, dude. I'm all well, foreplay. Well, as long as you've got it covered, because otherwise you're setting yourself up for failure. <laughs> all right. And last question, but I feel like we answered this because of how important it is. But do you think this record deserves to be on the 500 greatest albums list? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. You know, all star cast of musicians. You know, like they said, I mean, if it is, in fact, um, the first live blues recording, I, I mean, that in itself makes it historical. Uh, and anything like this uh, documents a, a time, a music, a time, you know, in music that, you know, that's the, that's not happening today. He's no longer with us. Um, that era of blues, you know, is is not the current era of blues. And yeah. so you know, it's invaluable to have the audio recordings. And I think also to have the visual, you know, to be able to look back and see these guys doing in their prime, doing what they do best. hundred percent to all the fleece army, all the listeners out there, uh, Adam, the videos on YouTube, you got it on YouTube. Watch the performance as you listen to the record. Fuck the record. Just listen to the, just watch the video. It's even better, man. Uh, Kenny, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. Thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us, bud. I appreciate it, man. It's been good talking to you. Thank you, brother. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Kenny Wayne Shepherd, guys. Follow him on Instagram at Kenny Wayne Shepherd, on Twitter at KW Shepherd. Go to his Facebook page, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. And uh, for all things Kenny, go to KennyWayneShepherd.net. For listener shout out this week on Twitter at Dan T. Morgan. Dan Y'all Morgan has been a fan of the show since the beginning. I fucking love this dude. He comments on everything. He respects the show. He loves the show. Dan T. Morgan on Twitter. You're the fucking man. All right, guys, for new music, we got Blue House, Miami-based blues rock review. And you're listening to Purify My Soul. It's a lead single off their self-titled debut album that came out in August. Find all the links on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you want your song played on the podcast, send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Next week is a weird one. It's Pink Floyd, but it's weird. Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Do it, do it, go through it. Bye. I can see clearly now with the sun falling on my feet What I need to do so I don't end up on the street I gotta pray to the Lord, please come down And purify my soul Yeah I gotta pray to the Lord, please come down And purify my soul Try, oh yeah. Tell me what should I do to sit down?
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or a band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com. Next Chapter Podcasts.